Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Last winter, flu infections in the United States plummeted by more than 99%. In the 2019-2020 flu season, the CDC estimated that 38 million people got the flu. Last year, the agency only confirmed 2,000 cases. In most years, flu ranks in the top 10 leading causes of death in the U.S., but very few people died of the flu. Only pediatric deaths are really required to be reported, and it appears there was a single death far fewer than previous years. The social distancing measures that mitigated but could not stop COVID from killing hundreds of thousands did work just about perfectly for stopping flu. But as anyone who's been on BARD or walked past a bar knows, even the more COVID-conservative areas of the Bay are fully opening back up. So now the question is, what will this flu season look like? Here to talk about how the coronavirus changed the game for the spread of influenza and how Americans can keep flu numbers down in the future is John Schwartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Medicine for the UC Berkeley School of Public Health Division of Infectious Diseases and Vaccinology. Welcome to the show, John. You there, John? Yes. Good morning. Thank oh, you great. very much. Hey, great. Great to have you on. Great to have you on. So... Why don't we talk a little bit about this data uh, as we head into the break here? Tell me about sort of the estimates versus the lab confirmed cases. Like, do you think that we know that more than 2000 people got the flu last year, but we we're only able to confirm 2000. Right. Uh, so how do you how do you was last year really that big of a change from previous years? It was dramatic. You know, I've, I've been um, practicing infectious diseases and teaching infectious diseases for 50 50- 50 years now, and I have never seen an influenza season like this, uh, nothing even approaching it. Essentially, there was just almost no influenza circulating. And that's something that just doesn't happen. A remarkable year. Did you anticipate that going into the flu season or what is now the flu and COVID season, given that there were a lot of people who worried about sort of the double barrel uh, hit that we would take? We did worry about that. Uh, we worried a lot about that. Uh, COVID was enough to deal with last year. Um, did I anticipate it? Well, I think I was so embroiled in worrying about COVID um, that I sort of put flu on the back burner and just figured it was going to be another year like it it always has been, maybe a little bit better because of the precautions. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I didn't anticipate that we would have anything like this. The one mm-hmm. inkling that we were going to have a pretty good flu year, an incredible flu year, was if we looked at the Southern Hemisphere from the previous, from their winter. And that tends to tell us what's going to happen in our winter. So in 2019, excuse me, in 2020, their winter um, was quite mild in terms of influenza. And 
people were talking about that. And then we were praying that we would see the same thing in the Northern Hemisphere. And thank goodness we did. Having influenza, a regular year of influenza combined with what we had with COVID would have been really terribly traumatic. Yeah. Well, you know, their uh, flu season is June, July, August, I believe, or, you know, around there, the warm months uh, here in the Northern Hemisphere. So what is their, what did this year portend for us here in the Northern Hemisphere? Well, fingers crossed, but uh, the Southern Hemisphere during their winter did not have a terrible flu season again. And that could be a good signal for us that we won't see it either. So um, that's that's um, been a real beacon of light in terms of hopes for this year. You know, we can use some good news, so I'm going to take that. We're talking about the dramatic fall in flu infections last winter and what's in store this flu season with John Schwartzberg, clinical professor emeritus of medicine for the UC Berkeley School of Public Health Division of Infectious Diseases and Vaccinology, been working with infectious diseases for 50 years. What questions do you have about the flu and what factors are you considering uh, in this flu season. Uh, are you getting a vaccine? Are you going to stay masked even if you're not worried about COVID? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and on Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the dramatic fall in flu infections last winter and what's in store this flu season with UC Berkeley School of Public Health, uh, John Schwartzberg. John, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, we've got this great news from the Southern Hemisphere that their flu season was, was quite mild. On the other hand, the sort of package of measures that people took to mitigate the spread of COVID are definitely loosening up, uh, especially in places that had been tighter through uh, last winter. So do we have any early indications of, of any changes from last year anywhere in, in the country? Not yet. Uh, we are seeing scattered cases of influenza in the United States now, but not very many. But we don't expect very many in October and November. So it's not really a signal one way or the other. Mm. It is of concern that um, we will be loosening up. We are loosening up with what we call the non-pharmaceutical interventions like masking, social distancing, and trying to avoid congregate settings. When we do that, 
um, we not only make ourselves more at risk for acquiring COVID, but we also put ourselves at greater risk for getting influenza and other respiratory viruses. For example, we're seeing more respiratory viruses in general, just like the common cold. Mm-hmm. And we've been seeing um, for a good, a good year. Um, we've been seeing that since the summer. So there is de- a direct correlation between how careful we are with the non-pharmaceutical interventions for COVID and preventing not just COVID, but all the other respiratory pathogens that continually circulate. You know, our family just hasn't had a cold in two mm-hmm. years. Um, I talked to friends, colleagues, nobody's getting a cold. It's really remarkable. Um, I mean, it tells this, us that we know how to prevent them. Yeah. I mean, does this, does this prolonged experiment uh, teach you new things about how respiratory diseases spread? Well, it, it certainly does. Um, it more than teaching us new things, it reaffirms the things we've already known and we've known for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, a few years ago, I was giving a series of lectures in Taiwan and walking around in the evening, I saw lots of people with masks on both inside and outside. Culturally, people wear a mask if they've got a cold or if they, have, if if they just want to prevent getting a cold. So it's a very common behavior. And, you know, I'm going to take heed with that. Uh, I like not getting colds. So, um, and I certainly like not getting influenza or COVID. So I think masking is something that um, we may want to be incorporating into our culture. You know, in the flu, like COVID is a evolving virus out there in the world. It kind of moves across the globe into different populations. Um, what do we know about the strains of flu that are circulating now? Because that seems to have a large effect on how bad of a flu season we get. It, it does have a large effect. Um, the strains that appear to be circulating now and, the, and that were circulating during the winter in the Southern hemisphere are the strains we anticipated. There's nothing particularly unusual about them. And that portends a good prognosis for how effective our flu vaccine will be. Mm. Because we may have to make a decision on what that flu vaccine is gonna cover many months before the flu season begins for us. So we use the data from the Southern hemisphere to inform us and so far, it looks good, but it's very early in the season to really know how well there will be a match between the vaccine and the current circulating viruses. And how are we looking on flu vaccine rates? I mean, there's obviously been such a push to get COVID vaccines. Are we seeing that that's led to an increase in people getting their flu shots or a decrease or, or neither? Last year, we saw an increase in the number of people getting their influenza vaccine. And I think that played a role in tamping down the number of cases of influenza we saw. You know, I've I've always found it very interesting um, that uh, people need to recognize that the flu vaccine is not that great. It's about 50% protective. Now, if anybody's had influenza and you could get a vaccine that would prevent or improve your odds by 50%, I'd take it in a minute because it's a miserable disease and sometimes kills. But the flu vaccine isn't in the same ballpark as the COVID vaccines in terms of effectiveness. The COVID vaccines, all three of them are far more effective than the influenza vaccines that really do work very well. So um, I really encourage people to get both of those vaccines. 
I remember when the first uh, vaccine uh, efficacy data and then real world effectiveness data was coming out, how people were just stunned because their baseline was basically the flu vaccine. Yeah, it was um, it was just 11 months ago when we got the first inkling of what these vaccines could do for COVID. And it just blew everybody's socks off. Nobody, nobody dreamed that they would be that good. Remember last year, the FDA was saying that if the uh, COVID vaccines were had showed 50% efficacy, just like influenza does, they would approve it. <laughs> Nobody anticipated that it would be almost twice that. Uh, just really remarkable. You know, when we talk about the non-pharmaceutical interventions, you know, this package of measures that different places have adopted in their own different ways. I mean, we, we have this kind of incredible natural experiment, right, in sort of the ways that different, you know, municipalities, states, different nations have deployed these measures. What are the early sort of research returns on this, you know, series of experiments going across the world on sort of which of these measures are most important for tapping down uh, respiratory disease generally? Right. So of those three that I talked about, masking, social distancing, not getting into congregate settings, it's really hard to tease out how much better one is than the other. But I think most everybody would agree that what seems to be showing up as the most efficacious thing is to wear a good mask, mm. a mask that has a good seal, um, really filters out the virus. So that's, I think, the most critical thing. Um, next in line, it's hard, to, it's hard to really say between social distancing and, and avoiding congregate settings because they're really part and parcel of the same thing. Mm. You know, if I... If I go on BART, I'm going to wear a mask. And I don't know that I, I may very well not stop wearing a mask when I'm on BART. Long after, hopefully, this, um, we've gotten much better control of, of COVID. Uh, because it does offer considerable protection, particularly when you're squeezed up against other people. It's just a, a dream for a virus to spread. So I, I put both of those, um, trying to stay away from other people, social distancing and trying to avoid congregate settings are two very helpful things. But masks for me is number one. But of course, behind all of that, the most important thing you can do is get the COVID vaccine. We're talking about the dramatic fall in flu infections last winter and what's in store this flu season with John Schwartzberg, clinical professor emeritus of medicine for the UC Berkeley School of Public Health Division of Infectious Diseases and Vaccinology. What questions do you have about the flu and in particular about the flu uh, this season? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your comments or questions for Dr. Schwartzberg to forum at kqed.org. One interesting factor is given that we had so little flu uh, last winter, does that make us more susceptible or is that kind of like folk epidemiology? Well, that's been an argument that, that quite a few people have been making. They think we may have a more a much greater problem with influenza this year because no one got exposed to flu last year. Let me let me give you a setting. So tip in a typical influenza year, millions and millions of people get infected. A lot of those people get infected, but they don't have any symptoms. They don't even know they're infected. And a lot of people get infected and they get just cold-like symptoms. So they think, oh, it's just a cold. It wasn't the flu because it really doesn't mm. look like the flu. 
the classic influenza is not the tip of the iceberg, but it's, it's a smaller percentage of people. So last year with nobody, almost no one getting infected, we have a larger pool of people coming in this year who didn't get immunized from the virus last year. Mm -hmm. And the argument has been made that that means that we have a much greater or more susceptible population this year than we would in a normal year. And we might see the flu because of that. So that's an argument. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that plays out or not. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that's been so wild in this, you know, two years where we've learned so much about viruses is just how many viruses present in asymptomatic or mild form, not just COVID. You know, COVID isn't, in fact, not even special in this regard, right? I mean, there's tons of viruses, even including polio, in which there's a lot of like very mild and asymptomatic cases. That's right. Um, you use polio as an example. The paralytic polio is uh, probably less, or around 1% of all cases of polio, are all people infected with polio virus, only about 1% get uh, paralysis. It's, the disease is the tip of the iceberg, and we're seeing that with COVID, not to that extent, but we see most people who get infected with COVID either don't have symptoms or they have mild to moderate symptoms. Um, so if this is how infectious diseases play out. Um, they, it's a whole spectrum, a bell-shaped curve. But you know, with influenza, um, an awful lot of people do get sick and an awful lot of people do get hospitalized and an awful lot of people do die. It's, it's important for the public to recognize that because flu is with us every year, it visits us every year, typically mid to late December through um, early March. Um, we're so used to it, it's just background noise to us. But what is that background noise really? On an average year in the United States, somewhere between 25 and 35,000 Americans die from influenza. That's an average year. That's more than people die in car crashes. It's, it's a very significant public health problem every year. But because it happens every year, we're just so used to it. It's just, well, that's the way the world is. And we shouldn't really tolerate that. And one of the lessons I got from last year and seeing essentially no influenza was that, you know, we don't have to live in a world where 25 to 35,000 Americans are going to die every year. We don't have to have a world like that. Yeah. You know, how solid do you think the flu, both case and death estimates are? I think they're um, solid from the perspective that we uniformly collect the data every year the same way. So we can compare one year to another. How precise are the numbers? Um, not, not incredibly precise. For example, we, we categorize influenza along with other respiratory infections as ILIs, influenza-like illnesses. Um, because so many other things look like influenza. And we miss so many cases of influenza because it just looks like a cold. So I think the, in terms of how precise are the numbers that we have compared to what's actually happening in nature, there's a lot of waffle room there, but they're precise from the perspective that we collect the data in the same way every year so we can compare one year to another. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I want to add Sid from San Francisco into our conversation. Welcome, Sid. Hi. Um, I just have a quick question. Um, I just had my third booster shot of Moderna, and I'm just wondering, is it going to be um, each year that we're going to have to take these shots for the rest of our lives because it's becoming endemic? Yeah. Thanks yeah, for that question. That's, and Sid, that's really an important question. And the answer is I, no one can answer that question for you. And for all of us, we all have that question because we, we need to find out how long this third jab is going to give us. Um, it could give us another six months of really great protection or a year. It could give us three, five, 10 years of protection. Um, we're just going to have to wait and see how well this third jab does. A lot of some people. Of it, um, can I, Dr. Schwartzberg? Some of it has sure. to do with trying to pin down kind of the um, the evolutionary rate of COVID, right, as it's moving through the population, which seems like, if I'm not mistaken, has been surprisingly fast. Like COVID itself, the virus has been changing surprisingly fast. Well, it, it it's changed faster than we anticipated it would, but compared to influenza, it's a wimp. Hmm. Influenza. Um, reorganizes its genome every year, every six months, actually continuously it's doing that in nature because the influenza virus where its primary reservoir are birds, it lives in so many other animals and it's constantly experimenting and reassorting its its, uh, RNA. So influenza is actually more formidable in terms of how rapidly it can change compared to SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID. You know, earlier you mentioned um, that the, a, a good mask was important, not just a mask, but a good mask. So what does that mean for people who want to take that advice? They're, let's say that right now they're wearing a cloth mask, like, a, you know, one of the ones that you can buy at Walgreens. <laughs> not, not a surgical mask, not a KN95, not an N95. Like, what should people be, be looking for? Right. Um, yeah, get rid of your cloth mask. Um, or if you're going to keep it, make sure you wear it underneath a, um, a, a good surgical mask that is double masking. Um, it might give you a better seal that way. But a cloth mask by itself does not offer nearly the protection you should um, be afforded. So that I would avoid. Um, better masks, single masking would be masks that have, first of all, a good seal on your face, around your cheeks. Your, your glasses shouldn't fog up. Uh, the KN95, RNN95, those are those are sort of the gold standard, uh, and use those in circumstances where you may be at higher risk for getting exposed. In other circumstances, double masking may be a good idea to really create the good seal that you need—a surgical mask with a cloth mask. Yeah, yeah. Last thing I wanted to ask—you know—there was a lot of talk about COVID being a highly dispersed virus. That is to say. You know, many people didn't pass COVID to anybody else, but some people passed lots of COVID on to other people. How does the flu rank on that score? Flu is not as highly dispersed as uh, SARS-CoV-2. Um, that is, there are super spreading events with influenza, but they're not nearly as common as they are with COVID and as they were with SARS back in 2002, 2003. So, um we don't see as many of these events, what we call super spreading events, where one person will infect 6, 12, 20, 80 people. Um, we do see that with influenza, but not to the same extent. Yeah. Um, last thing, 
Uh, before we, we wrap up here, what's the most surprising thing that you've learned during these 18 months, given your 50-year-long career? Vis-a-vis um, -vis influenza and COVID, I presume you're asking? Yes, yes. Right. Or about yourself. Maybe you learned a lot about yourself. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think we all learned a lot about ourselves. And we all learned about our fellow Americans, a lot about our fellow Americans. Um, we learned that there's an awful lot of wonderful people out there who are incredibly altruistic and trying to do the right thing for their, um, for their communities. Um, we've learned how critically important it is to have good governance, especially during times of stress like a pandemic and the real tragedy that can occur with poor governance. Those are two really critical things I've learned. I, the reaffirmation of um, how great science has been for us is really just absolutely remarkable. Yeah. The discovery of those vaccines um, really come under the category, in my mind, of almost a miracle. We've been talking about the dramatic fall in flu infections last winter, COVID, of course, and what's in store for this flu season with John Schwartzberg, clinical professor emeritus of medicine for the UC Berkeley School of Public Health, Division of Infectious Diseases and Vaccinology. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.